Welcome to my monthly podcast titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I interview people about wisdom, how to find meaning on a daily basis, a concept I call breadcrumb legacy. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. And I also say that I'm out to retire the word retirement. We're not retiring from life, but we're moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. And I will tell you that now I absolutely love how uh, Serena has made the phrase evolving. I love that because becoming is one of my favorite words and evolving, you know, she wants to evolve uh, from tennis. And I think that's wonderful. So Dory Clark, I'm interviewing Dory Clark. She helps indiv individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. She's been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. She was honored as the number one communication coach by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards and one of the top five communication professionals in the world by Global Gurus. These are all very impressive, Dory. She's a keynote speaker. She teaches for Duke University's School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of several books with the latest titled The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Dory's a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, a producer of multiple Grammy-winning jazz albums, and a Broadway investor. Clearly, Dory is a curious and very interested person. For more information on Dory, please refer to the bio attached to this podcast. Now listen to our conversation about what it takes to live the long game. I actually met Dory when I joined her recognized expert community, which has benefited me in many ways by connecting me with smart, generous, and kind thought leaders, for which I'm very grateful. So I'm really glad I met Dory, and welcome to the Becoming a Sage podcast, Dory. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jan. <laughs> well, we have lots of things to talk about, so we're going to dive right in. Share with us an overview of your book, The Long Game. And, you know, I'll just tell you, I absolutely, I put this in the review, the Amazon review after I read your book, but my husband is a, a wealth advisor, financial guy. So he's a Warren Buffett follower. Okay. So everything about Warren Buffett, you know, his philosophy is the long game. You've got to play the long game. So I absolutely love, love the title and I love the book. So give us kind of an overview and then we'll, we'll dive deeper. Yeah. Thank you, Jan. Well, actually, it's interesting that you bring up wealth management because in many ways, as I was writing The Long Game, which of course is a career book, it is not a wealth management book, I sort of felt like, wow, I, I almost feel like I'm writing a personal finance book because so many of the principles are the same mm -hmm. about the need uh, to start investing early. And you know, in, the investment can be in, in terms of time right. rather than money. But And the fact that a little bit today is worth a lot more than, you know, diving in whole hog 10 years from now, mm -hmm. that sometimes the small pivots that we can do, just the small experiments are things that can make a huge difference for us. I mean, literally just this morning, I was on the phone with a reporter who was interviewing me about career changes. And one of the things we were talking about is the fact that 
so often in our culture, the discourse around career change or, uh, you know, evolving into a new identity is this very all or nothing kind of thing. You know, even the metaphors, it's about, oh, you know, diving in or taking the leap or something like that, which is, you know, kind of aggressive metaphors, right? It's a little bit mm -hmm. of a dangerous metaphor, but I am a much bigger fan of trying to think, how do we extend the runway? How can we make this transition as seamless and as painless as possible by starting before we even think we need to and exploring and experimenting? So in many ways, that's the philosophy that underlies the long game. Yeah, no, I love that very much because, and again, you know, small steps, pivot, and that's kind of what breadcrumb legacy is about too, you know, that it isn't, you don't have to be wealthy to leave a legacy and, and you don't leave it at the end, you know? Uh, I'm le we're leaving it right here, Dory. Um, why is thinking about the long game more difficult now than, say, even 10 years ago? Well, you know, it has, of course, always been a part of human nature that mm -hmm. we like short-term gratification. I mean, that that just makes sense evolutionarily. You know, oh, there's a there's a tasty morsel. Let's let's have that tasty morsel. We don't know if it's going to be around tomorrow, but it's also true, of course, equally that there are certain things that we might want in life that no matter you know how how badly we want them no matter how lucky we get they are never going to be available to us instantly there are things that you have to work at over time if we think about you know building strong relationships with people that's that's not an overnight thing you can't rush that you know building uh, a family uh, about you know developing the kind of long term career where you're making an impact on major issues. It takes a while. And so the question becomes, you know, how can we how can we balance that out? You know, how how do we make sure that we are not constantly chasing the shiny things so much that we never get anything done? And also, you know, of course, we want to be enjoying things and in, in enjoying life along the way. But we have to we have to really think about these ratios. This has been a concern of humans from the beginning of time. But it is also true, I think, that particularly the last few years with the pandemic, we were forced into short-term thinking. We really didn't have any choices. I mean, no matter what long-term plans you came up with in April of 2020, that was not going to be a thing. <laughs> it was just, it, it was going to be very different than whatever you came up with. And so I think that we all kind of overdosed on short-term thinking. And it's very easy, of course, to get into a rut where you just keep doing the thing. Oh, you know, you keep responding to stimuli. But I think this is the moment now where we really have to consciously recalibrate. We have to consciously make a choice and say, you know what? Uh, even if I haven't been doing as much long-term thinking the last few years, we are now beginning to be in a time where, you know, thankfully things are a little more stable and you can begin to look at the horizon a little bit more. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's... I mean, the timing of your book <laughs> could not be better. Um, why do we confuse being busy with being important? And I know I've listened to some of your webinars about, you know, time management or we don't manage time, but how, do, how can we better manage our behaviors? But uh, talk about being busy. Yes, yeah. So this was actually um, a section that I uh, wrote about in the long game, and it actually became a standalone TEDx talk that I that I did, which um, I think it's I feel fortunate, you know, it's it's resonated to the point where 
I think close to 1.5 million people have watched it uh, so well, far. Well, that tells you how important Dory is. Dory, you, <laughs> but tell people who are listening, um, what's the title of the TED Talk? They can find it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think I think it's it's much more than me, Jan. I think it's the uh, the topic that's probably resonating. But the talk um, for people who want to check it out, uh, it's called The Real Reason You're So Busy and What to Do About It. And actually, there I do have a short link for it. If you go to doryclark.com slash TED, um, that's a short link for the talk. But what I describe in there, which I, I think you know, I certainly identify with personally, and I imagine a lot of people do, is that it's it's interesting because, you know, almost all of us, right? I mean, you know, there's a few truths in our modern society. One is that almost everybody feels too busy, says they're too busy, wants to change it. So, oh, you know, I'm so slammed right now. I really, I really want to free things up. You know, I really need more time. I really need more space. Like we all are saying things like this. And yet, somehow tomorrow never comes right like some somehow you're just as busy you know next week as you as you have been this week and so the question arises why is that like what what are we doing wrong so that we never seem to be get our, getting ourselves out of the hole that we seemingly have been digging because you know it's 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 not like somehow you know these things are are forced on us i mean we might feel that way but ultimately we are saying yes to them so what is happening and so there's been some interesting research um there's a woman out of colombia named sylvia Boletza who's done some interesting research about the fact that particularly in the united states busyness is actually equated to a form of status so that for many people the busier you are you know, that is essentially a socially acceptable way of saying, I'm I'm in demand, I'm important. You know, I mean, no one, you know, no one could sort of get away with saying, oh, I'm so, I'm so great. I'm so important. But we hear all the time, you know, oh, hey, Jan, how are you? Oh, my God, Dory, I'm so busy, which is basically, you know, a way of a way of saying the same thing. So we all kind of fall prey to that. And we need to reorient our thinking. Um, so there's a lot of psychological factors at play that we need to address before we can really solve the problem. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, what strategies um, have you come up with into, you know, that we can, so we can maximize our time? What can we do about it, Dory? So it's a problem. I agree with you. And, I, you know, I kind of fall into that category too. Um, but what can we do about it? Yeah. Well, you know, one piece, as I was alluding to, really does sort of start with how we conceptualize it. Um, there's a guy that I profiled in the long game named Derek Sivers, who is um, sort of well known as, as an entrepreneur turned writer. And a point that he raised that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, so many people, you know, of course, are, are lionizing the busy people, but but he turned it around and he said, you know, when I think about the people that I admire, the people that I want to be like, you know, I don't want to be like the people who are so busy that they're like a chicken running around with their head cut off. You know, he said, I want to be like the people who have control over their time, you know, who are who are powerful enough that they can make choices and that they they are able to make you feel like when you're with them that you're actually important mm -hmm. and that that's what he aspired to. So I think part of it is actually just changing our own mental models of what mm -hmm. success looks like. That's certainly a piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's other factors that I talked about in, in the long game as well. I mean, one of my favorite 
is uh, is actually being willing to say no to good things because you know we all know, of course, uh, that if something is not a good option, we should say no to it. And you know, in not in every case, but but in a lot of cases, we're smart enough to be able to do it. But the problem comes when you reach a certain level of success. You have so many options. You have so many things coming at you. You have so many things you could do that it's no longer a situation where, oh, I have to say no to the bad things. It's that you also have to say no to good things because there literally is not enough time to do them. And that's kind of an adjustment because earlier in our careers, when you don't have anything going on, you get used to saying yes. That's true. We need to develop a new skill later on, which is hard, but essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. What else about in your book, like a favorite story or something else uh, or a concept or uh, something from your book? What else would you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to playing the long game as well, I mean, one factor that I think is important to note here is the idea of cycles, because the the truth is we often sort of operate sometimes like, you know, like we are machines where we expect that we could just go and go and go. And I mean, you know, well, that would in some ways be nice from a productivity standpoint, like, oh, fantastic. Yeah, we can use every one of those 24 hours. The truth is, as humans, we are absolutely not machines uh-huh. and we need to to recognize that and to deal with that. And so a concept that I um, that I talk about in in the long game is what I call thinking in waves, mm-hmm. which is really understanding that there are different cycles in our lives, in our careers, where we need to be focusing on different things. You know, we can't be doing everything simultaneously. Sometimes, like, for instance, if you're new at a job or new in an industry, it's a learning phase. And, you know, you shouldn't be beating yourself up, like, you know, oh, I need to be creating content or whatever. You're just starting. You don't, What content are you going to create? You don't even know what's going on. That is a learning phase. And you just need to immerse yourself in that. Now, it's also true that eventually you need to start sharing your ideas more publicly with other people. But, you know, there's a, there's a season for everything. And we can be kinder to ourselves if we recognize all this. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious for you, Jan, you're somebody who accomplishes a lot. You're writing books. You're doing a podcast. How do you think about time management or about how you balance these things out for yourself? You know, it's interesting, Tori, because um, I'm, I'm not, you know, afraid to admit that one of the things that I often say is I'm very, I'm very, people will say, well, you're so busy. And I'll say, well, you know, I'm very good at non-revenue producing activities because <laughs> <laughs> I cannot say that, you know, the podcast makes me money or I can't say that I know it costs me money because I have somebody who edits and and posts. Um, you know, I can't say, you know, I write a regular column for training magazine, both online and in print. I can't say I can think of one paid job I got from that. Um, but you're several when I when I evolved out of full-time college teaching into leadership consulting and coaching, I came up with this uh, personal mission statement. And it, it sounds kind of uh, maybe simple, but I use it all the time. And it's, I wanna continue to learn and share what I'm learning with others. So I learn a lot through the podcast, I learn through the writing, I learn through, you know, as long as I'm learning, then, um, and I'm being a little, I mean, I, business, things have gotten better the last year, okay? COVID was tough. 
because yeah. I like to do workshops and all of those just came to a halt. But things have gotten better. But as long as I'm learning, I'm very happy. And so when you say learn to say no, I tend to look at it like, am I learning? Um, if I'm not going to really learn something from which I can benefit, um, no, I don't really want to do it. Um, so um, that really has been a good guide for me. Uh, you know, people will say, well, what, you know, how much money have you made from the podcast? Well, I, you know, but do I learn? Do I use it in different ways? Has it been helpful to me? Absolutely. And even in the Rex community that I mentioned earlier, Recognize Experts, you know, I've, I've interviewed many of those people helping them with their book and, or, you know, and so, and they've helped me. So it's all been very good. So that's how I guess I would answer that question. <laughs> I, I love that. I think, I think that's a really important insight, Jen, because ultimately you do need to have some kind of a, um, a, a decision matrix, you know, mm -hmm. you, you need, you need to understand what it is that you're optimizing for. And mm -hmm. in some, in some seasons of your life, you might be optimizing for money in other seasons of your life. You're optimizing for learning. I think that's mm -hmm. great. Or, you know, th there's a lot of valid possibilities. Maybe it's about making interesting connections, mm -hmm. or maybe it's about, you know, for somebody who's looking to change industries, you know, Oh, anything that'll get me to uh, learn more or, or, you know, meet the right people in the travel industry right. or, you know, whatever they're aiming toward. But as long as you're clear on that, it actually re really is enormously helpful as a filtering mechanism. Yeah. For me, it would be the learning and the, the relationships, the connections. And, you know, interviewing people like you is, is wonderful. And once again, I want to say thank you because it's because of Dory that I was able to get Marshall Goldsmith to endorse my book. And oh, that's great. I will be grateful. Yes. Well, my passion is legacy. And I have a book coming out, as I've mentioned, the book's called Breadcrumb Legacy, How Great Leaders Live a Life Worth Remembering. It's being published by Rutledge. Um, and you were one of the great leaders I interviewed. So when I say legacy, what story comes to mind? Well, you know, you were you were alluding, Jan, a moment ago to Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah. And Marshall is actually someone that I also interviewed for the long game. And it it was a, a really interesting conversation that, that we had. I mean, this is the topic on his mind mm -hmm. uh, because of course he he had a book that came out earlier this year called The Earned Life, which uh, in many ways deals deals with legacy yeah. issues. And he yeah. told me a, a great story that I think is is useful to the point about having, you know, sort of phases or waves in your career. Uh, Marshall told me a story about, you know, a, a number of years ago, probably 40 years ago, when he had started his work doing coaching and consulting, but he had not really started some of the things that, that made him well known, yeah. you know, writing, writing books and things like that. And at the time, his mentor pulled him aside and said, hey, Marshall, you may want to think about this. All you're doing is just, you know, work, 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 work. And you're making a lot of money and that's great. And, you know, yes, the clients love you and that's great, but you're not actually building a legacy through that. You know, all, all of that's going to evaporate, you know, the minute the, the contract's up or the minute the, you know, the client goes away. And he really encouraged Marshall to start creating intellectual property and putting his ideas down on paper and finding a way to, to help other people. And Marshall said, you know, he's, he's a very honest and self-reflective guy. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it actually took me 
you know, close to a decade <laughs> to listen to that advice because, you know, he was so caught up with trying to make more money, you know, which, which is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And eventually he started writing, he started sharing his ideas and that brought him to a whole new level of acclaim and impact and influence. But sometimes we have to be reminded, oh yeah, we actually do need to, you know, to share our gift more widely and focus on measures beyond uh, just bringing in a paycheck. Yeah, that's an excellent story. And actually, um, I don't know how this all happened because, you know, Marshall Goldsmith, um, I guess I was following him in, uh, this is years ago in Fast Company, he had a column. So I actually interviewed Marshall for my leadership book that came out in 2013. So I probably interviewed him about 2010. And I always love how he says, you know, well, his, his tagline is life is good, but I always love how, you know, all he's, all my resources are free. Go to my library, anything you want, any, share it, share it widely. And I think that that just, you know, that's reinforcing everything that you said. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, Marshall, Marshall is one of the least concerned people that I've ever come across when it comes to things like, you know, oh, they might take my ideas, right? You know, yeah. like like some people are so paranoid about yes. that. They're like, oh, but what if they steal it? What if they take it? What? But, 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 but. This is not even on Marshall's radar. He's like, no. you want my ideas? Go for it. Yes. we'll make more. Yeah, <laughs> because he he wants. You know, he is extremely concerned with impact and with mission. And he is really not concerned at this point in his career with uh, sort of, you know, niggling details, which which is something I, it's, a, it's a mindset that I really respect. It's an abundance yeah. mindset. Yeah, no, I respect it, too. He's very generous. He's very kind. And uh, he's helped me a lot. And and uh, once again, you helped me. So I always like to ask interviewees, what else should I have asked that my listeners need to know? What would you like to share, either from your teaching, your speaking, your TED Talks, the Rex community, your books? Oh, thank you so much, Jan. I appreciate it. Well, one thing, one thing that I will mention for folks that are interested in, you know, long-term thinking, long-term life planning, career planning, is I do have a, uh, a free resource, which is the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And it helps uh, sort of train a lens on on you and help help you ask these questions for your own life. And so folks can get that for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. That's excellent. Yeah. And I know you do um, LinkedIn interviews. Is there a, does somebody have to get on an email? I mean, I, I get emails about it. Do they do you have to get on an email list, Dory? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking, Jan. Um, for the, uh, yeah, every, every Thursday I do an interview show for Newsweek, which streams on LinkedIn. It also streams on Newsweek's channels on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. Um, so, you know, folk, folks can, uh, can tune in there, uh, on at noon on th every Thursday, but the link for that is doryclark.com slash better. That'll bring you right to the weekly interview. Um, but if folks want to get reminders about it, the best way is to follow me on LinkedIn. So you can go to doryclark.com slash LinkedIn and, uh, sign up to follow me there and, uh, and you'll get reminders about it. Well, that's great. Now, when you say noon, is that Eastern time? Noon Eastern. Correct. Okay. 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 I'm on central time. So um, but listeners could be on all kinds of time. all over. That's all right. Thank you. Time. Thank you for the reminder. 
Yeah. Well, thank you, Dory, for this great, curious conversation. My focus is on helping people make the rest of life the best of life. So may the rest be the best for you. Jen, thank you. What a joy to get to talk to you.